What up? <laughs> Guys, um, before I read the scripture, I just wanted to, uh, to say a little something. Uh, Paul started just about every one of his letters um, with a greeting. And um, I usually just say, what's up? But God has genuinely inspired me um, to greet you in a different way today. Um, now, my name is Russ Mowry, if I don't know you, if you don't know me. Uh, I've been involved with Covenant for 20 years now. Uh, I've been a youth group member. I've been a youth intern. I've graduated seminary under your care. I've been ordained. And I need to thank you. I need to thank you for supporting me through all of this, through teaching me who Jesus is. Um, I want to thank you for your wisdom throughout the years, your support, your prayers. Um, and if you're new here, I thank you anyway, just because you're here. It's crazy, even after 20 years, some things still haven't changed uh, about covenant. And the first one is that Joe Muck is still here. <laughs> Can't believe it. <clears throat> he actually drove me to seminary by himself. He and I drove, drove to Princeton. It was fun. Um, the second thing is this, that your engagement with the mission of God just keeps getting better and better. And I want to affirm you in that. I've just seen so many amazing things happen here since I've been gone. And lastly, you continue to listen. You truly listen and respond to the Spirit of Christ moving in Austin. So though my praises might not mean much to you, I want you to know that this place, that you are really a diamond in the rough. I mean, I've served churches from Menlo Park to Midtown Manhattan, and this is a diamond in the rough. And so I really am excited to be a part of this place again. Let's read some scripture, huh? All right, this is very short. It's only 28 verses long. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. One afternoon at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he clearly saw an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. He stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? He answered, or he answered, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, he called two of his slaves and a devout soldier from the ranks of those who served him. And after telling them everything, he sent them to Joppa. About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven open and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he'd seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. 
So Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The next day he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him and falling at his feet worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. As he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you this day. In your name we pray. Amen. So it's kind of hard to imagine two people more different than Cornelius and Peter. I mean, their cultures were miles and miles apart. I mean, one's a soldier, I'm sorry, an officer of the Roman army, the biggest empire in the world. And the other is a fisherman, well, ex-fisherman. He retired. Cornelius is a big city guy. Peter is more of a wandering, wandering dude who naps on roofs. But the most important difference is that Cornelius is a Gentile and Peter is a Jew. And at that time in Israel, there were only two options. You were either a Jew or something else. They sort of lumped them all together into one. You're Jewish or we'll call them Gentiles, just everybody else in the world. So anyway, I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine being told that you don't belong? Imagine if we thought, you know, you're either American or you're not. But anyway, Peter as a Jew was uh, sort of special. I mean, he was part of Israel. He was God's chosen people. He had a strict moral code to adhere to. He had a special kosher diet to keep. Just so he could be deemed clean before God. The idea that keeping these laws would, would draw him closer to God really fueled him. Now you can imagine how that might make most of Israel feel. I mean, they were held to a higher standard. They were favored by God, and they were favored over everyone else in the world. So how do you think they might feel? They might feel a little little superior to others. And if you have a group that's morally superior, there's a lot of judgment going on. So one group is moral, the other is just bad. One group follows the law, the other one disregards the law completely. I mean, could you imagine if, if we thought Americans were superior? But Cornelius, it's hard to say. He's a little different. Since everyone, in the Jew, since everyone but the Jews were lumped into one category, it's hard to say anything that applied to all Gentiles. The Gentiles, as a group, were supposed to have drunk blood, sacrificed humans, were completely free with their sexuality, and would eat anything they wanted. Even pork. But Luke, the author of Acts, makes it clear that Cornelius is as close as you can get to being a Jew while still being a Gentile. And that might sound like a small distinction, but it's huge. 
I mean, this guy was a God-fearer, they said, meaning he had great reverence for God, and he gave alms to the poor. And in that culture, that made him clean, and that was great. He was an upstanding man. He held to the Jewish traditions. He prayed faithfully and consistently. He read the Torah. But ultimately, he was still a Gentile. And so this part's super important to know. There are two categories in the ancient Jewish world that form a structure on which salvation is based, okay? So first you have clean and unclean. That's one distinction, right? You have clean and unclean. Now, let's say this room represents the whole world back then. Now, if some of you are clean, some of you are unclean. It doesn't matter. You could be Jewish, you could be Gentile, but some of you are clean, some of you are unclean. So, this morning, if you have sinned already today, please stand up. No, I'm kidding. Don't, don't do that. Um, but, but some of you are clean, some are unclean. Anyone who eats shellfish? Unclean. All that stuff in Peter's dream that came down? Unclean. A lot of unclean people in the world. But Israelites could be clean or unclean, like I said, and Gentiles could be clean or unclean. It was sort of a temporary distinction that depended on certain actions based on Jewish laws, whether you follow them or not. And being unclean could be remedied. So it's very temporary. Okay? Now, the second category is the main point of the story holy and profane. Holy and profane. Now, for the sake of discussion, this side over here will be holy, and this side, profane, okay? You guys just look guilty when I walked in, so this side's profane. Um, so some of you are clean, and some of you are unclean, but congratulations, you guys are God's chosen people. Good job. And we want you to be clean, we want you to keep doing the right thing, and, you know, you'll be blessed and we'll enter God's kingdom. So great. Congratulations. Now you guys, the unholy group, the Gentiles, the profane group, well, you're not an Israelite. So, you know, we really hope that you do good things and we hope that you follow the Jewish laws, but it doesn't really matter because in the end, you're not one of God's people. You're not chosen. So I'm sorry. So if you're Jewish, holy until proven otherwise. If you're Gentile, you get no chance for salvation. So this is highlighted in our story by Cornelius, who is as close as you can get to being a Jew while still being a Gentile. So no matter how clean and righteous his life was, he was relegated to the group that had no hope of salvation. So back to our story. Peter, about 30 miles away from Cornelius and com completely oblivious to what God's doing, Peter has a vision. He goes into a trance. And the word that they use there is really only used twice uh, in the Bible. And it's, for, it's very, it's uh, uh, Abraham has it once and I think um, Elijah has it once. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, Peter has a vision, which he knows the voice. He knows the voice. This is Jesus' voice. And he speaks to him. What he says doesn't make any sense. I mean, what Jesus tells him to do is would make him defiled, would make him unclean. How's he going to eat all those, how's he going to eat those animals? They're, some are clean, some are unclean. And putting them together just makes everything unclean. Why would God ask him to eat something unclean? And so Peter, of course, 
freaks out and says, I'm not eating anything like that. I've never done it before. I'm not eating that. And then God says this. What God has made clean, you should not consider profane. And he says this three times in, Jesus's, or in Peter's vision, which is a dead giveaway for you got to pay attention to this. He says it three times. But Peter walks away unsure of what he just witnessed. He's not really sure what to think of it. Just minutes later, some people arrive asking for him. Guests. Well, Gentile guests, which is an oxymoron, really. And because Peter's wrestling with this vision and not sure what to think of it, God saves the day again. God comes to him and tells him something else. He says, go and see those men without making a distinction between them. These are Gentiles. These guys are different. They eat strange foods. They do bad things. I will be unclean. What God has made clean should not consider profane. But they don't belong. They're not like us. We're special. What God has made clean you should not consider profane. But they're not God's chosen people. God doesn't love them. What God has made clean, you should not consider profane. And translation, if God has forgiven them, no matter who they are, you can't say they aren't God's people. So Peter gets it. Peter finally gets it. He invites them into his house, which is a big no-no, right? He entertains them. They must have eaten there. Gentile food, terrible. I mean, there's no way he's going to be eating that, but he is. They must have slept there, which is a huge no-no. And then Peter goes to the other guy's house, goes to Cornelius' house, where Cornelius bows to him because he's inferior, right? He's not Jewish, he's inferior. But what does Peter do? Picks him up. Says, stand up. I'm just a human being too. There's no distinction between them. Now what could make everyone in the world clean all at once? What could give people the option to be clean and to be holy? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So there's a few things that I want us to remember. First, this is, this story is one of the greatest shifts in the history of the world. This is the account of the first Gentile ever accepted into the kingdom. Everyone else has been Jewish, has been part of Israel. And now it's expanded to everybody, which is good news for me, good news for a lot of us, I assume. So that's one of the first things to remember. Um, second, the second thing is that this is part of a bigger plan. It's been part of a plan all along. Genesis 12 tells us about God promising Abraham that through him all the families of the world would be blessed. Before Jesus was born, they said that he would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Which didn't make any sense then. Jesus told his disciples that the Gentiles will see God's salvation. This multi-ethnic, multi-racial church was always part of God's plan. Not just one group of people. Hundreds of different ethnicities and races, all welcome and all equal in the kingdom of God. So I want to ask yourself, does your life reflect that view? And this summer, I want you to ask something else of yourself. Is there a group of people, a group of, 
of Christians or non-Christians that you really look down upon, where you think you're a little bit superior, just a little bit. I mean, be honest with yourself. I mean, I, sadly, I, I'll, I'll admit that I, I do, um, and, or I, I did, at least, um, and this is, a, this is a story that comes back from when I was an, an intern here. Um, we went to Ruiz, Mexico, uh, one, one year. Anybody on that trip with me? Oh, yeah, Mark was there. That's right. There was a, so it was just a few of us, and we went to Ruiz, Mexico, a little tiny town, and um, we were helping at VBS and helping at um, just various other things. And I remember thinking, like we, we, had, a, we had dinner with a, a mother, one of the mothers, um, who's an older lady, and she made us food, and it was wonderful. And I remember thinking the whole time, like, I'm glad we're here to help her. Like, that's, that's really good of us. And, and after the meal, we said, you know, what, what can we do for you? Can we, can we pray for you? And she said, no, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. I thought, wow, Okay. I thought it was odd back then. But I see it as just a wonderful thing now to be on a completely even playing field. So that's my challenge to you. Think of a group of people, I mean, think of perhaps pro-choice Christians really make you upset. Perhaps all pro-life Christians really make you upset. Perhaps Muslims make you upset. And so hopefully I want you to see that instead of seeing them as part of a group or as part of um, a lost group or something like that, see them as someone God wants in his kingdom. Because he does. And see them as someone who's an equal part of the world. There's one more thing I'd like to say, and this is, I'm glad there's some younger people here some high school and stuff, yeah, yeah, cool. What's up? Um, <clears throat> lastly, I, I want to think about. I want you to think about yourself. What God has made clean, you should not consider profane. If you really consider yourself a disciple of Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian, you really do matter to God. You really do matter, and God has made you clean, and you are holy. You are God's chosen people. And you really do matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would challenge us to tear down these walls that we've put up. We want to ask you to challenge us to find even, to find people who we don't get along with, and set ourselves on equal footing with them. Lord, we want to ask you that you would be with us as you challenge us. Give us strength. Give us courage. Let us go out into this world when we are sent, knowing that you are guiding us. You are sending us. There is somewhere that we're going, and there's a message that we have to give. And through you, that message will be heard. God, everybody we see, everybody we meet, let us see them as someone that you want in your kingdom, because you do. We thank you for that. Amen.